Hey, if you're enjoying this show, uh, consider supporting us on our Patreon. You can get cool perks like access to these episodes a week before they go public, and you can pick an album for us to review. Any support is greatly appreciated, so if you feel inclined, go to patreon.com slash polyphonicpress. You're listening to Polyphonic Press, a podcast for music lovers. Join your hosts, Jeremy Boyd and John Van Dyke, as they take a deep dive into a classic album and analyze it track by track. Hey, welcome to Polyphonic Press. I'm Jeremy Boyd. I'm John Van Dyke. And uh, let's not waste any time. Let's nope. uh, get right into what we're doing this week. Doing this week. I'm going to uh, share. And here we go. Let's click the button. Ooh, the Dave yes. Brubeck Quartet, Time Out. Um, I don't know. I've I don't know the Dave Brubeck Quartet. I've honestly never heard of them. Um, I have. They're you have classic jazz. Um, oh. I think uh, you know the song Take Five. Uh, maybe. In fact, it might even be on it's, this album. It might be on that album. Okay. Oh. Cool. Um. Yeah, I can get into some jazz. I'm I don't I'm not that familiar with jazz. Um well, it's not what I primarily listen to too, but I've certainly heard enough of it and I like it. And uh yeah, I'm in, I'm into hearing the whole album. I might have actually heard it all. There is uh I mean, the, I I know the the standards. I know like uh Miles Davis kind of blue. Um Actually, I think that's the only jazz album that I'm familiar with. Mm. Um, okay, so Time Out is a studio album by the American jazz group, the J- Dave Brubeck Quartet, released in uh, 1959 on Columbia Records, recorded at Columbia's 30th Street Studio in New York City. It is based upon the use of time signatures that were unusual for jazz, such as 9-8, 6-4, and 5-4. Interesting. Yep. Okay. Uh, Which is where the the track title Take 5 comes from. Oh, okay. It's a a 5-4 time. Yeah, Take 5 is on here. Okay. Yep. Okay, so the first song on the album is called Blue Rondo a la Turk. Cool. Uh, All right, so let's hear it. Okay, that was interesting. Um, I like the way that it uh, started out really intense, and then I I like the the slow transition to the more easy laid back part. Uh, it, it it kind of they they because it was a bit of a jolt going into that part, and then they went back to the intense part. But each time they went back to the intense part, it was less intense. I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, and you can tell that the uh, 
the intense part is a completely different time signature, a really unusual one. Bump, 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 sort of a thing going in. And then, it, and then it, of course, it just sort of like slowly morphs into this like nice uh, sort of a laid back jazz thing where everybody gets their turn to sort of shine. And, and you hear that bass line going through it, the stand up. Yep. Yeah. And it's amazing that, well, first of all, it's amazing that this was recorded in 1959 because it sounds like sonically it's amazing. Oh, I've noticed that about a lot of jazz albums. It's like a lot of jazz stuff that came out in the 50s sounds like it could have been recorded yesterday. Yeah. It's just really, really, really high quality. They, I don't know exactly how they managed to do it back then, but they were miles ahead of what pop was doing at the time. It would take them another 15, 20 years to catch up in that sound department. Do you think maybe it's because with pop music, they just wanted a quick product to get it out right away and they didn't spend enough as much time mixing and doing to that? To a certain degree, yes, but it's almost like the studios they were working in. Um, and I'm there's a lot of like classic... Uh, um, and and this is not to like cut it up. I actually really like the sound of of like a lo-fi sort of a old-fashioned recording technique. I in in many cases I, I feel like I would really like to actually recreate it in a lot of cases. But uh, and and there's a lot of classic um, you know producers and stuff from that time period who really knew what they were doing. But it's almost like the jazz um, producers were just that extra meticulous. Or I don't know what kind of equipment they were using. Like, where did they find microphones that could do? I guess, you know, the SM58 was out. So, you know. Yeah. That was the, it's the industry standard to this day. And it's called the SM58 because it was invented in 1958. Mm -hmm. It was invented in 58, but I don't know how common it would have been in, in recording at that yeah, time. Yeah, it wasn't yet. Uh, um, you, you, you would notice even like... Uh, in um like on stage you would see a, a, like almost any other type of microphone still being used on stage as late as the 60s and even into the early 70s but you you know you go to um any stage setup nowadays what do they have on stage they've it's got usually some a 58 some format of a 58 yep so yeah um and the other thing that i uh noticed uh, it was um it's amazing that obviously it's a quartet. So you have uh, the drummer, bassist, piano, and saxophone. And it's amazing with those four instruments how 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 much the sound is filled up. Yeah, like there's not oh, a whole yeah, lot of space. Yeah, I mean there is space in in into what they're playing, but but yeah, it it, it fills if if the uh, if the sound spectrum was like a jar, there's not a lot of, you know, obvious gaps in the jar where you think, well, something could have at least tumbled into that area. But no, it it uh, it actually does fill it out. It, there's there's nothing. Um. Yeah, there's no obvious. There's space, but there's no obvious gaps. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, and and the playing on it was was amazing. I wonder how many, uh, like, who is actually playing on this? I know Dave Brubeck is playing piano. Um, 
But okay, so uh, Dave Brubeck, Paul Desmond on alto sax, Eugene Wright on bass, and Joe Morello on drums. I don't know who any of those guys are, but uh, they're great. Yep. Um, they're members of the of the of the. Uh, <laughs> I almost said the Dave Clark Five. No, <laughs> the Dave Brubeck Quartet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> little bit different though. yeah just a tad just a tad um all right so let's uh hear the second one called uh, strange metal lark so the interesting thing about that is or at least the the intro with the piano it sounded a bit more like a classical thing than mm-hmm. than jazz um it's not it's not something you think of when you think of jazz you don't it, so that was a bit of a surprise to me uh yeah um jazz does borrow a lot from classical um especially especially stuff like this um a lot of the uh yeah a lot of freeform jazz and stuff like that take sort of the rules of classical and with with like a blues structure and then breaks those rules mm-hmm. um which is um a lot of uh, what goes on with a, a lot of jazz musicians are classically trained yeah and it's 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 that thing where I uh, where I've said before it's like learn the rules before you break them exactly um, and that's exactly what they did. These guys are like really 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 like they know their shit. Oh yeah, <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to like uh, music theory and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, they know how to break the rules and not you know uh, chase people out of the bar unless of course. They're actually trying to clear the room, <laughs> which they would have a tendency to do, right. where they would literally get up on stage and play just whatever yep. to get anybody who's not a jazz fan to like leave before they start actually playing the stuff that they're gonna play. Right? Yeah, they actually did this. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yes. It's like if you're not gonna appreciate this, get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Yeah. But instead of saying it, they just you know play a bunch of crazy stuff. <laughs> that's amazing yeah <laughs> uh-huh. so um so this album is actually it's a bit of an experiment um yeah and so this is this is on wikipedia so the album was intended as an experiment using musical styles that brubeck discovered abroad while on a united states department of state-sponsored tour of Eurasia, such as uh, when he observed in Turkey a group of street musicians performing a traditional Turkish folk song that was played in 9-8 time uh, with subdivisions of 2 plus 2 plus 2 plus 3, a rare meter uh, for Western music. Um, On the condition that Brubeck's group first record a conventional album of traditional songs, uh, where did I see it? Um, so this was, yeah, that's the way it usually goes. 
Uh, yeah, that was the record company doing that. But uh, yeah. this album actually did better than that one. It was yes. uh, peaked at number two on the Billboard charts and was the first jazz album to sell a million copies. Well, there you go. It's it's uh, it's just it's just like well we before we're gonna let you like dick around with like weird you know hoopy doopy stuff and whatever we're gonna make you do straightforward stuff first because that's what's gonna sell. Meanwhile, this is the one everybody remembers. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure the other one isn't bad, but it's just no. You I'm know. sure it isn't bad, but yeah. But it it's funny. That's just you know, it. It's it, the more th- uh, times have changed in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways they haven't. Record yeah. companies still have that same mindset of yeah. well, let's go with this with one that's safe, and then except they won't give you the option of doing something safe to you know they they do they don't say here you do this we'll let you do what you want to do if you do this first right they just straight up want you to do what they want you and to do don't not deviate from that exactly yeah. and and if you do so much as deviate from it they'll like they're they consider that like um you know a betrayal of some sort yeah Be- it's kind of messed up oh yeah yeah and it happens all the time with every yep. every artist like I don't yep. think there I don't think there's any artist that is not at one point in their career had a problem with their record company. <laughs> I, I can't think of a single artist that I've read about or heard about that has not had a problem with their record company. Like Yeah, I know. Um maybe some of those like straight up pop artists that towed the line and became like part of the industry themselves or something, but for the most part yeah um everybody's got some sort of story of them butting heads with the 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 boys upstairs mm-hmm. so it's just cuz they cuz they care about um well, and, they're putting out a product and, yeah. and and the artist is putting out art and I, I what they're trying to do I get it to a certain extent like you're paying for this album to be made and you want mm-hmm. you know your return on your investment but uh, you'll get a better return certainly a more lasting return if you let the artist have a little more control though yeah and that's been proven time and time again this is a prime example exactly yeah yep um so let's move on to the next one. This is the song that you know uh, called Take mm-hmm. Five. Um, so here we go. Cool. I yeah. I honestly had never heard that before. You've never heard that? Never that heard that before. A very, that, was a, that was a quite a big hit for them that song it's it's been in a lot of movies and stuff like that too yeah so. i well i probably have heard it like if it's yeah. been in movies but i've never I, i've never been aware it. of it i guess yeah okay um but uh i guess that's uh i'm in the minority there because it's actually um i was just reading about it as we were listening it's the biggest selling jazz single of all time yeah. Um, so <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all. I I thought it was uh, cool. The um, I guess this must be where it 
um, gets his title from, but it's in five, four time, uh, yep. which gives it this sort of bounce feel to it, mm-hmm. which I thought that was really cool. And I, th- I thought it was cool, um, that usually when there's a drum solo in a song, all yeah. the instruments kind of drop out and you let the drums drummer do what they're going to do. But yeah. With the, about half the instruments dropped it. Yeah, but this one, it's like there was still a little bit of piano just to kind of push yeah. the drums along. It was sort of like the drummer and the piano switched roles, where it's like the drummer's keeping time, and then once the drummer is off going to do his solo, then it's the piano's job to keep the time. Yeah. The the piano is keeping the 5-4 going. Exactly. Especially in the, if the song's not going through your head, which I, if you've heard the song several times before, like it seems like easy because you know how the song goes. But at the time, the song is it, it's five four timing, and nothing else came out that sounded like this, at least on Western radio. Right. Um, so it wouldn't have been a natural. Um, well, maybe for jazz musicians, it may be a little easier than for the rest of us uh, plebs, but. Um, uh, you know, it, it's not a natural, like, um, uh, instinct to try and play a solo over a five, four timing. Right. So to have something, you gotta have something even for the drummer, the piano going on would help it, um, keep, keep, you know, where they are in the drum and, and the, and the drum solo and you, you don't you get to hear the drum solo very often even even when you hear it in other places it's always the main riff um the drum solo itself is very i wouldn't say random it's obviously meticulous but it's um spontaneous it's it's got a very spontaneous feel to it and trying to keep a five four timing going through your head while you're playing yeah you're playing stuff like that and easy to get lost playing like exactly uh so having that piano going along uh would actually help and plus it actually fits so you know the song didn't suffer for it at all right um but even didn't the bass drop out yeah it was just the piano playing and and you could barely hear the piano yeah Uh, well it was just sort of like bopping along in the back there just underneath yeah but I, I I do wonder, like how much, like w- what we know about jazz is these guys would improvise a lot. So mm-hmm. I do wonder how much of this was planned out and how much of it was improvised. Well, what I mean by, okay, it probably wasn't written. It was probably very definitely improvised, but it wasn't. Ran- I, I mean, it was. Yeah, I, I know. It, it comes from a. a, a um, it comes from a place of knowledge. It wasn't just hitting drums for the sake of whacking a drum. It was, they they know what they're doing in their head. Yeah. But it, they would still need to know where they were in the bar or, um, to, to do it correctly and to have it to come off and having the piano play it. Yeah. Would uh, definitely help with that. Yeah, but I just, I wonder, like, if there was a discussion of, okay, you, you're going to, 
you're going to do the drum solo and, and uh, when you're doing your drum solo, I'll keep time on the piano. Or if it was, if it just kind of came up spontaneously, you know, that's, that's hard to say. I, I think they probably kind of knew what they were doing for that. Or maybe they just did several different takes or they tried different things. That's yeah, possible. Maybe the fifth, fifth take. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I, I don't know how many takes they actually did. But anyway, uh, who knows how many times they, they tried different things and picked the one that, you know, well, it's got the piano going, which which is all right, but it's the one that we, we, we they think turned out the best. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if that was part of the decision. Um, you kind of have to ask them. Yeah. All right, well, I guess we'll uh, move on to the next one. Uh, the next song is called Three to Get Ready. There we go. Is it maybe in 3-4 timing? Uh, by the sound of the title, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bet a million dollars, maybe. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. Well, that had almost, um, almost like a, I don't know what you would call it. Like I get visions of, um, like a Southern, like New Orleans kind of feel with that one. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I heard uh, a little bit of like European folk song in it. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, and it was in three, four times, or at least parts of it. Yeah. Um, It sort of jumped between, you know, uh, three, four timing and then sort of like a a four, four jazz sort of swing thing. Yeah, it kind of just keep switching, but it kept switching back and forth. Yeah. No, I I thought it was interesting. And and again, it's, um, I'm just uh, still marveled at at the quality of, the recording in this um Mm -hmm. i know i've said it before but it's it's it doesn't sound like 1959 no i know the Um, thing is yeah you you listen to miles davis stuff from this period it's the same thing yeah it just sounds like it could have been recorded yesterday yeah and i'm sure we're listening to a remastered version that um even even like this been uh, cleaned up uh, even when it first came out like I mean, you could play it on a record and it would still sound sort of like it's on a record, but you can definitely tell that the high that the uh, recording um, quality was just top notch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and late fifties, early sixties jazz stuff. Uh, nothing sounded better at that time than than the jazz stuff at that time. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really have anything more to say about that. So move on to the next one. So this is called uh, Kathy's Waltz. <laughs> There's a great use of uh, counterpoint in that. Yeah. Where the the drums are kind of driving and doing this con- consistent shuffle sort of thing with the brushes, and the piano is kind of playing the opposite of that, almost. Yeah. And I thought that was really clever. It was funny when the track started. It was just like, okay, 
uh, it's not a waltz. Yeah. And then, of course, it went into a waltz after a little bit. Right. It did take a bit, but it, it did get there. It uh, just, just kind like, of fell Of all into the songs it. on this track, this doesn't sound like a waltz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was reading about this track, and um, I don't really hear it, but maybe you do. I, I was trying to figure it out, um, but I couldn't really hear it. There, apparently, um, Paul McCartney lifted the melody for All My Loving from this, and I don't really hear it. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think of it, and I can't really hear it yet either. I, I guess he heard something in there. It must have been uh, something somebody played in the middle of it or something. Yeah. Um, the sax solo or... Well, it said, what is it? Um, It said, um, in an article for The Independent, Spencer Lee speculated that Kathy's Waltz inspired the song All My Lovin', uh, written by Paul McCartney and performed by the Beatles, as they share similar rhythmic endings to the last phrases of their melodies. I don't really hear Mm. it. Like, I, I... I think I hear maybe a little bit more of the... Yeah, it might just be like that part oh, of it. Yeah. I can't... How does... Oh my, I, which... I, I can't... Like, which It part? would be the, the end phrase part. Like the... Not the... Oh, my loving. It'd be the... Then oh all my God, loving to you. That part? Yeah, it might be something like that. Okay. I Yeah, I still don't really hear it. I, I think I, I might be able to to hear it a little. I don't know. It's not like it's a bit of a straight up clear to me. Maybe like I, it's maybe he got inspiration or something. But yeah, yeah. It 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 doesn't jump out to me. No. And sometimes these things really do jump out to me. That one didn't jump out. To yeah. No, it's not like Noel Gallagher ripping off T-Rex like we talked about last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little more straightforward, yeah. Yeah. Um cool. So, uh the next song that we've got is called Everybody's Jumping. Cool. I've never heard a, a drum solo played with brushes before. Oh, I have. That was for sure. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, they they sound really good with brushes. They they did sound amazing actually. Yeah, they it always gives a very different sort of feel. It it is a just by using brushes, you can play like Ginger Baker, and it just sounds more laid back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I really liked. Th- I liked how. Like the first track that we listened to really filled out the space. Mm-hmm. And this one left a lot of space. Um, but I, I, I didn't feel like anything was missing. No, again, uh, nothing. They, they don't, again, there's no gaps left in anywhere in this album. But there's definitely a sense of roominess mm-hmm. without sounding empty. Yeah. Yeah. It's um it's like it's almost like they 
like the 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 first track is they're filling the space and they're in a large space yeah. whereas this one is they're still filling the space but the space is smaller yeah it is it's almost like uh, you can visualize the size of the studio they're playing right in. yeah um yeah and that's just like that's just playing with dynamics and yeah, absolutely knowing when to pull back and when to push a little bit and I mean you I don't want to be one of those guys that uh, that says that people in uh, like the 50s or jazz musicians are better than wherever but I a lot of rock musicians don't know when to pull back and I think that's a lost it's skill. partly it's sort of it's it's a certain discipline that that a lot of um jazz musicians hold themselves to and each other to that you don't generally get with I mean rock musicians can be very hard on each other for sure but yeah. uh it's the criticisms they're a little less uh I don't know it, it's just a very different discipline and 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 uh, like I know lots of musicians who are you know have jazz backgrounds and stuff like that and you can tell that they just they know things that you would never hear coming out I mean and this is not to put down like you know rock or pop or or, or folk or, or any other genre mm-hmm. uh, of musician and I know tons of them too but you know take for example like Jimi Hendrix and play the hell out of a guitar but apparently he could never read music no so but jazz musicians they do yeah they can read music <laughs> they're, they're not going to get very far if they can't right they know their theory they know their stuff like this i mean i guess you can sort of like do like if i was going to play jazz it would be all on feel and instinct and stuff like that you put a piece of music for me i might be able to sit there and sort of figure out the gist of what you're trying to do but i it's most of it looks like egyptian hieroglyphs to me um, I I, I kind of get you know when you see notes uh, in notations, it's like well, all's going up here. I gotta then I gotta sit here and actually count. Uh, every good boy deserves favor. And then figuring most of the okay, that's a B. It'll take me like a month to get through a line of of uh, notation. Right. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, most jazz musicians can read it like they're reading a sentence, like. Uh, yeah, I, I, you just know exactly where it's going. They can read it in real time. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm always amazed. But the the thing that I respect about jazz musicians more than uh, classical musicians is classical musicians. A lot of the time, I feel they get very set in in being able to read music, and uh, and and they they lose the whole feel thing it becomes very technical right yes. exactly i know whereas jazz it's sort of like yeah they can read the music and they know the theory they got the both best of both worlds exactly they can they can be spontaneous and they can be uh, they can um you know they they know what they're doing they know the theory behind it so that kind of frees them up to be able to explore different avenues whereas maybe rock musicians are are limited by the fact that they a lot of them, not everyone, but a lot of them don't know how to read music. Um, 
so it's sort of like jazz musicians are like kind of right down the middle. It's like they're in you, like you said, best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. And this is also not to cut up uh, classical musicians either, because I mean, if you go to like a classical, I'm, I've seen lots of like very passionate uh, uh, classical uh, performances with, who have had a lot of feel behind and stuff like too. But yeah, and generally when you look at an orchestra, it's like the feeling is being conveyed through the conductor. Right. Whereas the uh, musicians are, they're doing their part, but it's the conductor that's sort of like controlling kind of like the volume. Right. In in a way, or or just the, the feeling. And sometimes the energy is being presented through just his movements and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and but if you're a really good classical musician, you can read the conductor really well, and you know exactly what he's doing. Right. Um, so th- there, there, there's like it's like a different way of getting that feeling across mm-hmm. in in that sort of a setting. Anyway, yeah, I'll let you continue. Um, well, I was just gonna say, like classical music, a lot of it is written and it's planned out and it's very um, strict and it's meticulous. Very methodical. Yeah, exactly. Whereas absolutely, uh, jazz is it can be. Like there's, if you go to school for jazz, you're going to have to play the standards and a a lot of that, but there's also a lot of uh, improvisation and there's a Mm lot, it's a little more loose than, um, just, uh, sight reading and playing what's written on the page. Yeah. But again, um, yeah, in classical, you can still bring a certain feel to it, but yeah, the, uh, what the music that's actually being played is very definitely very rigid. You don't want to mess up a, a note doing that. At least not anything really noticeable. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you don't want everybody to be on F and you're playing a C, you know, or something like that. So, um, so we got one song left. And the last song is called Pick Up Sticks. I like how that was uh it's six four timing but it's it's played in, like it was uh like a, a four four or an eight four but more like an eight four with two bars chopped off and it was just kind of uh i mean it works i mean it's it's totally six four timing but but it's just like it's like a full four bars and then just two of the boom boom and you can really hear it in the bass line um this is really cool. That baseline was wicked. That was, yeah, I, the, yeah. It was a great way to end uh, the album too. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody kind of had their own. Everybody got a chance to shine on that one. I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. Yeah. It was a perfect ending to the album. Um. So yeah, I I really enjoyed this album. Um, yeah. Uh, classic um classic uh, jazz from this era this really is the golden era of jazz yeah i think well actually a lot of people consider like the 30s and the 40s when there's a lot of good stuff from there to be perfectly honest that was when it was really uh jazz is being sort of a little little overshadowed by rock and roll at this point yeah but, uh, i would still say that a lot of the golden stuff is coming out of this point yeah so. I would say, well, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to have to listen to more jazz, but yeah, of the stuff that I know, the fifties is probably maybe my favorite era of jazz. Certainly had the cleanest recording, uh, uh, um, 
uh, quality yeah. as we were already talking about it. Although it never like dropped in quality from there. No. But it's like they were 21st century quality in 1950s and they never had to improve much. I know. I, it's just, I, I can't get over how clean it sounds. I know. It's just amazing. Amazing that they, I, I'm curious, where was this recorded? Um, it was recorded at Columbia 30, 30th Street uh, Studio, New York City. That doesn't surprise me that it was recorded in New York. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, uh, it was recorded in... Um, oh, okay. So, there was a lot of uh, albums recorded in this uh, studio. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Miles, Miles Davis, Kind of Blue. Yeah. Um, the soundtrack to West Side Story, uh, Chicago's first album, Chicago Transit Authority. Okay, um, that sounds yeah okay. And it's also where Pink Floyd's "The Wall" was recorded. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, or at least part of it. I don't know if the whole album yeah, was recorded there. Cer- certainly, the stuff that you that was recorded there in in the fifties. It's that studio that really kind of has that sound. I don't know. Maybe it's kind of like, uh, um, oh, the uh, uh, Sound City in, in Van Nuys, where the room just has a certain sound to it or something yeah. like that, where it was just really, really, um, it, it was, well, I don't want to say like a dead room, but it has to be somewhat dead to get that clean. It's a, there's like a real presence. Yeah. Um, everything recorded in there has got this real presence to it. If you're going to put any, like, uh, um, reverb on it, I think you kind of have to, like, doctor it in. Yeah. Um, unless there's another room that that echoes more. Well... In the bathroom or something, I don't know. Well, I mean, it really could be <laughs> uh, just, um, a, a, like, a big studio with an open space, but mm-hmm. it just, for whatever reason, the shape of it or the material that on the walls just yeah. gives it that huge or not huge sound but that that um presence that presence yeah, yeah. and um a dry sort of presence yeah but i mean when you were and you're when you uh, i know this and i know you know this is when you're recording the room makes a big difference yeah um, it does. especially when you're recording drums well it well it, uh, um an album like this also where all of the instruments are acoustic um yeah the room makes a huge difference and absolutely um so yeah so it might just be but also this is columbia records and columbia is are are they are they not known to be like a high quality like jazz record company no i would imagine so they certainly were at this point so yeah columbia they um it's it's not like uh i mean a lot of like there's blue note records columbia is known for being a little bit more uh diverse in the stuff they put out um there's blue note and uh verve which were known as primarily jazz labels mm-hmm. um but uh yeah well columbia clearly has you know some classic jazz stuff on it we're just listen to one so well and the other thing too is this album was recorded in two days um that's impressive so 
Well, I, I think a lot of it, two separate dates, July, the early July of 59 and then mid August of 59. So there's two separate yeah. dates. Um, so I wonder if because they, cause, cause I don't mean this. I don't mean to say that jazz is easy, but re- re- <laughs> no. re- recording jazz doesn't take as much time because you you all you really have to do is set up the microphones and let the musicians play um so i wonder if because recording jazz is pretty quick that they only had two dates uh to record this i wonder if going into that they knew that they only had to book a, a little bit of studio time so that they could save money on that and put more money into the quality of the the recording well again it comes down i think it comes down mostly to uh you know the discipline of the musicians like they're consummate professionals yeah but and, i'm just uh, talking about the just the sonic quality of it and oh uh, the sonic quality it yeah. might be um but i'm just saying like because they knew that they only had to they they didn't need a, a like you know three months to record the record they could do it in in two two different days because they didn't have to book as much studio time i wonder if more effort was put into the quality of the recording and not they didn't worry so much about taking up studio time possibly um yeah, I, I guess uh, they recorded maybe a few takes off the floor and picked the best one and, and then basically just put all the effort into, uh, at least production, put all the effort into, uh, you know, getting it as good as possible. Yeah. Um, they, they clearly don't have to doctor the performance any. I mean, they just didn't at this time period anyway. But No. There would have been a little bit of mixing, to. but, you know. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. And just, even... Yeah, basically just putting... Um, deciding how much of which instrument you want to hear in and this would have been mono recording too um yeah i believe so well you know i it is in stereo because the this is in stereo okay 59 um okay but i wonder like i just wonder how many tracks that they're using because it can't be it can't be Uh, more than four tracks um yeah because i don't um, think they had more than four tracks not in general. I mean, yeah, I think even the the most um, advanced studios at this time were still basically four tracks. Yeah. Um, so that's if it's a quartet, so you have one track per instrument. Yeah, um, it makes it real easy. So, but I'm also thinking, like, if you think back to like uh, stuff going on at Sun Records and 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 the other rock and roll records being produced at this time in the late 50s i don't think they labored so much over that stuff either um you didn't get to that stuff until you know you get drug-addled uh, musicians in the 60s who uh had really weird ideas and then they really had that's to true. <laughs> yeah well, that's, take up I, a whole lot more tracks on a board that's actually a point i made earlier that they you know yeah. that they at this time they wanted pop music to uh to just keep get it done and get out um yeah, yeah that's true i i just i it may it must be just the, the quality of the studio because sun records it has its charm but it's not a great mm. studio um 
like it, historically it it's, very, it's not a it great room to record in it's a basement in a basically it was a storefront right yeah um so so it might just be that they're in a great space i mean that must be also um columbia records has their money uh, yeah so they have they have money to throw at the room yeah (laughs) and they have um this is their studio so yeah they have probably the latest equipment at the time yeah so but it it i'm still i'm still amazed that that it was 1959 yeah like it just it just doesn't sound like it yeah i i've gotten sort of used to the idea but yeah the first time i i listened to a really clean jazz thing and i thought it was like a recent recording and then i looked at the thing and it said like 1961 and i'm like what the hell yeah and this was like i don't know maybe decade a couple of decades ago when i first i actually i know what it was it was um oh there's a cd kicking around it's all um oh what that cole porter stuff okay and one of the tracks on it is this like I think it's a jazz vocal group, but the production sound on it is like, again, just as pristine as this. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at when it was recorded and it was like really early 60s and I was blown away. And then I found out that actually this was pretty standard for late 50s, early 60s recording um, quality at this time period. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's since just become one of those facts that I'm aware of. But yes, it is very mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, I don't know that just, I, I need to listen to more jazz. I think, I think that's what I've, my takeaway from, from listening to this, uh, cause I really like it and I didn't realize how much I like it. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's, that's, that's my takeaway. I, I really enjoyed this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, oh yeah. Ace quality. Yeah. A plus. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, that's all I have to say. Do you have anything else you want to say? I think I pretty much got out all my ideas, I think. Okay. I think I've blathered on. All right. Um, all right. Well, that's if that's everything, um, I'm Jeremy Boyd. And I'm John Van Dyke. Take it easy. You have been listening to Polyphonic Press. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Polyphonic Press. Check out the website, polyphonicpress.com. Feel free to drop us a line at polyphonicpressmusic at gmail.com. And finally, you can support the show by heading over to patreon.com slash polyphonicpress. 